Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers. And today I'm interested, very intrigued, uh, and glad to be joined by Jason Bradford, who's got a very interesting new, not that new anymore, but still innovative concept going. More than a concept, it's an investment product, investing in farmland, converting it to organic, and doing long-term leases with organic farmers. Um, Jason, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I'm glad to be here, Severin. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, my pleasure. So I'm going to let you go ahead and give us the short version of your What We Are pitch, and then I've got a series of questions for you that I emailed you to. Sure, yeah. Um, So Farmland LP is a company that uh, buys conventional farmland and converts it to certified organic farmland. And the strategy we use is to manage farms to be ecologically sound, and we believe that makes them more productive, um, yielding better long-term returns for both the investors that put the money up to buy the properties and and farmers and the environment. And the other thing that we really want to do is reconnect local communities to the farms that support them. Um, And how did you come into this work? What's What's your background personally that informed and shaped the way that you are approaching this trifecta of dilemmas uh, with oh, the sure, sure. Foundation. Yeah, I mean, I'm, um, I uh, was a biology student in college and went to graduate school and was really into tropical biodiversity, and I would, I would go from kind of uh, capital cities in the developing world out to the hinterlands, and, and in between, you, you, you go through agricultural landscapes, and and I saw the pressure on, on the planet from farming and, and industry and population growth, and I'm worried about all those, all those issues, and I, I saw a lot of poverty in, in my day. And, um, and so I, I dropped out of academia. I really wanted to be more hands-on with things. Um, so back in early 2000s, I uh, moved with my wife to a small town, a rural community in Northern California, and Ended up starting, you know, really just taking classes in, in agriculture um, and my own backyard garden and moved to a school farm. I started a, a CSA and school farm in town. Um, and then from there, I really thought about uh, scale and the fact that there's such a big, you know, issues with the food system that I'm sure you, you're fully aware of. I don't have to go over and I really want to figure out how I can make a difference at, at scale and, and, and transform things in a way that would be really impactful. So that's how I got to this. Right on. Very good. Very good motivational factors. And I wonder, um, I wonder how you chose the town where you live and um, what kind of land uh, you identified as the right opportunity for this scheme. Um, 
Is it sure. next? To, is it in the town where you live, or is it nearby? Well, I actually, so I moved from, I moved from where I was in Northern California, um, in a small town that had not not the highest quality soils um, and had more water issues, and land was expensive for what you got. And I and I really wanted, to, I really had to move to a place that was where land was priced for agriculture, um, not for view sheds or you know. Um, hobby farming, uh, and so I needed to be somewhere where I could, I could buy land at, uh, at farm values, and uh, I also looked at, you know, issues related to climate change and where I thought if I'm going to invest in, 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 in a farm, um, you know, not just financially, but your heart and soul in it, um, it's going to be viable for a long time. So I actually moved, my, my family moved up to Corvallis, Oregon, and that's where we st- first started buying properties. And, uh, and so I've been here ever since, and that was about four and a half years ago. You're from behind. Oh, yeah. um, so tell me about the farmland that you're buying now. Sure. Well, we have made six purchases, and they've ranged anywhere from just over 100 acres and, you know, half a million dollars to 4,200 acres and almost $30 million. And so everything in between, really, um, in terms of scale and cost, um, the land itself tends to be prime, um, irrigated. There's some non-irrigated, but um, this is a high-quality prime agricultural land in, in you know, some of it in the Central Valley of California, in the Delta and the and the and then uh, the other is in the Willamette Valley of Oregon. So, really, I wanted to be in the heart of ag country. Um, there's an associative economy related to that that's really important, and um, and the ability then to to scale to have a lot of land trans- transition to these uh, management methods. So, what? So, let's a little bit more about this land. Like, is this land um, degraded and contaminated, but near useful infrastructure, and has like amazing kind of mineral mineral potential, but kind of beaten down biology? And and you what know, are it, you guys really doing once you get the land? Um, yeah, some of the some of the farms, you know, we do soil tests, and we'll say, "Gosh, this is a little tired, um, a little compacted," but you know. Um, for the most part, one of the reasons why I, I came to Lemmet Valley is because this is a gra- the grass seed and forage seed uh, capital of the world, and mostly what was grown in the Lemmet Valley for a long time, uh, for the last 50 years, and you know going back 100 years really, um, are these are these uh, sod crops, and so as opposed to annual cropping cycles, they are on perennial cropping cycles, and and there's a lot of good organic matter. Um, in some places, you know, in, in our California farms, we have had some depleted, depletion of potassium mostly because of a lot of hay, hay ground. Uh, alfalfa hay is a dominant crop down there. Um, we do test for pesticides and heavy metal residues. Um, and for the most part, though, you know, except for some of the real old DDT products that you can still find traces of, um, that you get you get non-detectable or really small levels from the, most of the contaminants you. So you're you're thinking strategically and you're cherry picking for soils that are meeting you know most of the qualifications that growers would look for. Yep. Um, let's talk a little bit. What's in it for the investor and and what's in it for the farmer and how do you evaluate and balance those needs 
what's mm-hmm. kind of um, what's your skew on that? Sure, sure. Well, um, it, it's you know if you look at our if people look at our website uh, farmlandlp.com, you'll see that we we bill ourselves as a as a B corporation or a benefit corporation in which we have to think about um, triple bottom line type things. So. So one is, yes, return uh, on investment level, uh, profitability, cash flow to investors. The other is the security of their, of their money. So um, farmland is not a, not a highly speculative type of investment. It's, it's the, the land holds the value very well uh, of the money you put into it. Um, but then beyond that, um, you know, this is something that aligns with their values. Uh, the investors generally are people that, Eat organic food, um, you know, drink uh, organic milk, pasture-raised beef. Uh, they're concerned about environmental resource issues, um, and social justice issues are important. So a lot of the investors are asking us about um, how do we include, you know, new farmers in, 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 in what we do. So all those, all those are part of what we do, and we're very upfront about that. So that's, that's really what they, they see it as is a lot of them are very excited because, Wow, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be putting money in things that I don't believe in. Um, well, we all about... can all. I mean, the land as the basis for all humanity and all ecosystems is a pretty good foundation um, yeah, for feeling right. good. Um, yep. But uh, but let's go a little bit deeper into how is this not speculative? Um, how are you how are you evaluating the return that's possible? What, what kind of math are you applying as you think about sure. um, the, the farm rent, uh, mm-hmm. which in, the, in, in Maynard Key's estimation, the farm rent, it should be 20 years of farm rent for farm purchase, which is, of course, no longer the case. Right. Um, but maybe just get into a little bit of the explicit math on that. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, historically it was this 5% kind of return. So if you were to, that's the 20-year thing you're talking about. And that has that's gone away in many ways. Its returns tend to be much lower, and um, and so typically what we've been buying at at least in the last four years would be that if you you know you look at what's what's leased out now. I mean most most of those properties that we've bought are, are primarily leased properties historically, and um, and they they will usually be three to four percent is what the value is. At least what we're buying, okay. The geography varies around the around the country quite a bit, um, and what basically what what we see is that there are a number of steps we can take to um, to improve that from the investment perspective, but simultaneously improve that from the farmer's perspective. So, um, how does that work? Well, part of it is that the the land company does the does the transition process through a pasture based system. So, um, we we basically put most of our farms into into um, diverse pasture mix and then um, lease out for livestock. And the management method for livestock, though, adds quite a bit of value. We do more uh, intensive grazing. We get um, higher, you know, higher meat produced per acre than you set stocking, um, and and that that kind of then hits that three to four percent right off the bat with just that kind of method versus um, the commodity crop system. And then when it's certified organic, um, we're able to usually get niche producers come in and say, yeah, I mean, I only need 20 acres or 40 acres um, at a time, 
but I get really high value out of that. And you're handing me something that's already certified organic. Um, the pH has been adjusted. Uh, the organic matter has been built up in the soil through the, the pasture process. And so, you know, we get, we get a boost in income on those fields in rotation as well. And the farmer has the ability to rotate at the scale they need and at the quality they need when they need it. So it gives them a lot of flexibility. So essentially folks are, are moving onto um, organic certified pasture land that you guys have managed the conversion and paperwork for and done a bunch of soil work and, you know, land health work. Probably you have some awesome elders helping you with that, but we can talk about that in a second. And then people are paying, what, three $400 an acre a year. It includes water. And then they're cycling through your properties um, on a yeah, yearly it, it, basis. It, you know, the rental rate varies a lot depending upon what crop is grown. And, and, um, but in general, yes, what you're saying is right, is that we do a lot of the upfront work, take the risk out of, them, uh, out of the conversion process and the cost out of that. Um, and then we allow specialty producers to rotate around and, and, and so, in, in, you know, instead of buying a 100-acre piece when you only need 15 acres at a time, but you need places to rotate, um, we buy the whole thing, and we manage, like, livestock or grains that need wide areas to grow. Um, we'll rotate among, say, a vegetable producer that only needs a small area at a time. And it's, it's that synergy of having livestock and, and annual grain crops, let's say, or seed crops, in a mix with, um, with specialty, specialty crops like vegetables. And we use the presence of these livestock, for example, to help the crop, the crop folks. And so, for example, in California, we may we encourage, um, if we've got a bunch of sheep out there, we'll encourage, say, somebody who's, who's managing alfalfa hay, and we'll say, look, um, I know that your, that your first cuttings sometimes have trouble with pests, and so do your last cuttings have trouble with maybe drying down fast. Um, why not, if there's an opportunity or you're not sure you're going to get good tonnage, let the sheep run over it. And so we're reintegrating essentially a livestock um, with the crop production, and it's saving people on, on cost, and everyone seems to feel like it's a win for them. So it's, it's really putting these different actors together again on the farm, putting the pieces back together, and then allowing them to kind of form these relationships, which are good kind of, you know, agroecological relationships. So that, that's where I think so, the benefits come. So that's an interesting added value. You're kind of like a conductor, and you get a little bit of symphony, and then you get some trombones, and then a surge of violins, and you're kind of coordinating, like, or maybe the operator girl in an office building, plugging things together. Uh, you know, it's a little less hands-on than that, but uh, <laughs> it's more, um, you know, it's more like creating the social um, network and allowing that, allowing people to then um, come together in ways that are beneficial for them, and not 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 be too pushy about it. You know, and people kind of are find, farmers are finding each other and working together. Um. So, so two direct questions, and then that question about how to, you know. Uh, you know, you're a good guy, and and how do we make sure that other people do it as good as you? Um, the first question is, do farmers have an opportunity to gain any equity in the investment that they make? Um, if you're doing specialty crops, in likelihood you're talking about strawberries or hops or veggies. 
um, all of which require a certain level of infrastructure to be built, um, and also soil, you know, significant soil amendments specific to that to that um, crop. Is there mm-hmm. a mechanism in your system for allowing some kind of equity in that investment? Yeah, great, great question. And so you can think of it at different. There's different. Um, there's different ways of getting equity, and so a lot of what farmers approach us with is they may not have. They want a processing facility um, or you know storage facility, and they don't necessarily have the money or don't want to invest in something like that um, on a property they don't own. And so sometimes what we'll do is we'll just have the land company buy that and lease back to them at, a, at an agreed-upon rate. And so if there's specialty fixed infrastructure that's tied to the land, that's hard to just sort of, I'm going to go leave and I'm going to go somewhere else, you can't take it with you, then we'll usually have to work with people on, on things like that. A lot of times farmers bring their own specialized equipment to the farms themselves, and we don't have anything to do with it. So it's really flexible like that in terms of, well, what do you need to get your business going? You know, I might, I might wire a building, get plumbing, a room and plumbing right and, and electricity right, but then someone comes in and brings all their, all their specialty equipment they need to do their work. Um, in terms of soils, you know, this is one of those things where the land company during the transition process does a lot of the soil testing work, um, uh, puts in the, the pasture, uh, builds that soil organic matter. So um, we're not asking someone who's just going to come in on a vegetable ground for a couple years to do all that upfront work. Um, and, and so in terms of long-term equity, um, I think the, the, the really good answer related to farm land ownership itself is, uh, is our REIT that we're, that we're developing. And I can go into some detail what a, what a REIT is. It stands for Real Estate Investment Trust. Have you heard anything like that before? Yeah, I've been researching all this stuff very much for the Agrarian Trust. Okay. So I'm learning a lot. Yeah. But, yeah. but um, I, I worry that we won't run, we're going to run out of time. So maybe we yep. should agree to do more description on um, Real Estate Investment Trust later. Okay. Um, but I, I, cause I, I want to kind of get a little bit at the core of this issue as I, I feel like you're, you're my favorite of all the ones I've found and, and we've found and, and listed on our Serve Your Country Food map. Um, serveyourcountryfood.net is a digital map of, um, farmland, farmer assets and farmer resources across the country. And we found about 80 different farmland investment entities, um, of some kind or another. Um, mm-hmm. around the country, and I like yours the best, and I wanted to just ask you to explain just really practically what is emancipatory about your model that is not sharecropping, which is a, an extractive and exploitative economic model that we saw degrade the quality of the land and the incentives for producers across the South during the reconstruction period and, after, and, and, and generations afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you explicitly making, you know, a part of your kind of the political economy of your project be about the health of the land um, and the long-term best interests of its, of, its, of its stewards? Sure. 
Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. And um, I, I, I would say that a lot has changed since those days. And it... I, 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 you know, it maybe it comes from the fact that um, we've all grown up in a more, um, you know, liberal thinking world. But I can't imagine putting other human beings in those kind of conditions, and I can't, I can't foresee the people that I work with um, being in those kind of conditions. So, you know, part of it is like uh, times have changed, and there's no way that um, that that something that unfair and exploitative could happen on my watch. So. And, and so then the question becomes, well, what, what do we put in? What, what do we put in place? And I tell you, a lot happens when you're just negotiating um, the terms of leases with people. You know, my goal is that if I'm working with somebody on, and they're renting land, I want, I want them to be there long term because it's a lot of work to get to know a farmer, get to know what their interests are and their, and their capacity, um, and to know you, and, and it's a relationship. And so it's not in my interest to have someone come in and out fast. It's not in my interest for them to not be successful because I want them, if they're, especially if they're young and they're developing, I'm going to want them around for a long time. You know, I'm 44. I want to do this for another 20, 30 years. I'd like the same people to be with me the whole way. And so... You know, this really gets into the weeds of, well, um, what, it, what, what happens when I'm talking to people about, okay, well, what's fair, for, what's going to work for you, you know? And it's just explaining your position and, and, and uh, what your goals are. And, and there's some crops, for example, that I know, like, uh, that they're not worth that much. And so part of it is me being is understanding um, that – there's only so much rent, any that, because it all comes back to well, what, what's it, what's it sell in a grocery store? What's it sell to the uh, hay broker, or what's it sell to the grain um, elevator? And that has to, that has to then be broken up into all the actors that, that get a piece of that pie. And it, there's only so much it can go to, to different, you know, different parties. So this is realistic, you know. So right. So we've been reading a lot about um, the investment schemes and um, pretty speculative investment by Wall Street type in farmland, counting mm-hmm. on this boom in farm crop prices to continue, um, an ethanol right, boom right. and other booms precipitated by the food crisis of 2008. Yep. They talk a lot about gold with yield, and of course, um, yeah, we're not dealing yet with a, a situation in which food prices are spiking um, for right. the things that, you know, my, my community is growing and what the local food economy is, is prompting us to grow more of. Right. Um, I, really, I really appreciate your, your talking about negotiation, um, and I wonder, I wonder if you have anything written in a covenant or in a kind of a contract uh, in your business that, that essentially locks in the values that you're describing yeah, uh, yeah. in some I would kind say, of legally you know, again, binding um, basis. Yeah, and that, that's where I'd say um, on our website we have a um, About Us page that basically outlines our values and um, what we stand for. Um, and, and so 
you know, a lot of this is going to come down to who who do you who do you um, who do you get into relationship with, and um, they're going to hold you to your values. Um, so we are, you know, the B Corporation, um, Slow Money investors. We're founding members of Slow Money, um, and so I can't. Those that's my community of people, and and they hold us to high standards. So. Um, it, it, it's going to come down to them, people watching us, see how we, see how we perform, see how fair we are. Um, so that's, you know, that's, the, that's what I can say now is that we're still young. We're four and a half years into this. But um, I think we're doing a, a good job, and I think that the people we work with who are on the land um, appreciate the value we add and, and the perspective we bring. Well, I'm, I appreciate it too, and, um, and I'm not going to back off challenging you to put those values into legally binding formats and learn from the lesson of the social enterprises and the green businesses of the last generation, many of whom, in, in the organic field especially, are now have been bought up by um, parent corporations or, or gobble, gobbling Pac-Man. I wouldn't say parent. I would say Pac-Man. Right. Um, corporations who whose values do not at all align with those of the founders and um, who, you know, use funds now to work against the interests of organic, et cetera, et cetera. So that the, mm-hmm. the, the human relationships that are binding you in relation to this land and to these values mm-hmm. um, should, should really get formalized in like, legally binding terms. Um, sure, and, of course, it's up to us. enough. And I... I, I uh... And I think that's uh, that's something that I'd like to strengthen, continually strengthen, for sure. I don't want to lose control of you know what we've created, and and I don't want to see uh, the land or the people that we've worked with um, feel like that you know I sold them out or anything like that. I want to feel like that they're appreciated and the land is taken care of uh, perpetually, you know, as long as we're stewards. Well, there's really good vibes so far, and the farmer got to. The farmer gossip circles are strong, so we hear about bad things, and yep. um, people say people say good things. Um, I want to just take this opportunity as we're talking about negotiation to make mention of an event that we're organizing with the Agrarian Trust on May second. Sorry, on May third in Rensselaerville, New York, at the Cary Center for Global Good in partnership with CAID and with the New York Agricultural Mediation Program. It's a day-long training on negotiation for farmers, helping, helping farmers with proactive business communications in figuring out and evaluating what you need, communicating clearly, promptly, precisely, um, in order to be able to maintain good working relations with landowners, business lenders, um, and others. So check out agrariantrust.org and, and um, sign up for that workshop. It's in New York State. That's ex- excellent. I mean, the, the, those resources are really important, and uh, that's all difficult work, and, and uh, it's great to have help, help uh, getting going on that and making sure you're doing the right thing. And everything we have to work with nowadays in the food system is so complex with regulations and insurance and food safety and all this. Um, there's so much that, that people have on their plates, um, Organizations like the Greenhorns, uh, helping with resources like that is really important. 
Okay, well, we're going to wrap it up. We hope to speak with you more and keep up the good work, and we'll keep holding your feet to the fire. All right. Thanks, everyone. Please do. All the best, everybody. 